Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden Bolick, your host, and today we are so fortunate and excited to have Paula Fisher and Kirsty Miles here, and Paula is one of our team leads here at PDT, and so is Kirsty. So, Paula, for first-time listeners, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm a speech-language pathologist in pediatrics, and I've been with pediatric developmental therapy for over 10 years and worked at a variety of contract sites in the homes and in the clinic and at the schools. All right, very nice. And Kirsty, introduce yourself to us all. Uh, Kirsty Miles, I am a physical therapist uh, working in the Southern Pines, Rayford, Rockingham area. Um, I've been with PDT for nine years, and I've been in the developmental day settings, uh, outreach, and also clinics. And today we are talking about a subject near and dear to all of our hearts, Home visits, which personally, I'm a fan. I like, I love a home visit. You get in, you get out. About the time they get tired of me and I get tired of them, we're moving on. So I love a home visit. I don't know. Do y'all like home visits? I've never asked y'all. We've just always done them. I do. Um, I feel as far as the parent education, the family education piece, it's such a great way to be in their home, to see functionally exactly what you're dealing with. It's not reported by the family when they would come in the clinic. When you're in someone's home, you can't really fake it. They they are there, everything that happens, and all of the therapy goals on the plan of care that you write, you're able to immediately plug that into what their routine is, what their family style is, what support they have. And it's really a unique relationship because if you think about it, They see you more than they see some of their family members. They're seeing you every week for anywhere from, depending upon when they start, maybe two, one or two years um, from when they're identified. And it's a really great way to help that child and impact the progress that they can make with their goals. Yeah. Kirsty, what about you? I've never asked your opinion either. Do you like a home visit? I love a home visit. I think as a therapist that has worked in many different settings, the one thing about a home visit is in the clinic we have so many options as far as materials to use. And when you go into a home setting, some of these families are very limited in what they have to use. So I think it makes you think outside the box as a clinician in what you can use and what they can use on a daily basis if they don't have access to some of the things that we do. Yep. So both of y'all hit on two, I think, like home visit 101 concepts. The first one is, like, Paula, you, you're part of the family, but there's a professional line that you can't cross. But at the same time, and that's sort of a hard, sometimes a line that you sort of unconsciously have to sort of establish in a home visit because you're there so much. And I've been to some home visits where, you know, the the family might have a really sick child and they don't get out very much or whatever. And so you're the first adult they've had contact with in a while and they just like latch on to you like, oh, hey, you're there's, there's life out there, but you're there to treat the child. So there is a professional line. But I've seen therapists, maybe you could speak a little bit to if 
not fall into the trap of becoming the best friend, keeping the professional line there, you know, but... No, I've, I've seen that. And I don't know if that's true for therapists that might be out of school right away or it can happen really to any therapist that goes in there, but it is a matter of redirecting the parent in addition to redirecting the child. And I just find if I go in there from the beginning and I do like a narrative and explaining what I'm doing every step of it, answering questions and trying to keep it on that clinical professional level, that that's helpful. Um, But you're right. I mean, I don't really remember... I remember years ago when I was in a situation, as you described, and the child was non-ambulatory, you know, very needy, mm-hmm. and that parent was the same thing. It, it was their time to just see another adult nice. and just couldn't get out. I don't seem to have that experience since I've been at PDT because most of the children are younger because of the birth to three program that they have. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's the same thing as with children. You might say, well, at the last five minutes, you have to structure it. You're the professional. You have to go in there. You have to set the tone. And I think if, if you do see that as a need, you can spend the last five minutes, you know, just kind of catching up while you're interjecting what you, the parent needs to do with the child and also maybe refer them to some support groups. I mean, especially now with technology, there's really a lot more now than there was even five or 10 years ago. Yeah. uh, Yeah, you're right. And I think you kind of also touched on there too, like other support groups, but then also other distractions in the house, like other people, like even other kids in the household, and you got still got to do your therapy. I mean, you've got your agenda. Like, you know, Paul, you're saying you have to sort of establish sort of a guideline or the way you want this therapy to go, you know, and so you're in their house. And so you have to conform a little bit to the way their house works. You have to, you know, get the lay of the land, a sort of make it work for the way their household, their family kind of works, but you still have to sort of create an agenda, you know? And so there can be other things in the house that interfere with that, you know, like other kids or neighbor's Uh kids or animals, or I don't know, can you speak to ways that you sort of work with some of those obstacles, you know? Yeah, I think that's inevitable when you're going into people's homes, but sometimes a parent will be like, oh, we're going to go in the other room with so-and-so, so we're not going to bother you. Well, we want you to be a part of the session, so it's a matter of how can you use the other children within your session, because when you leave, those children aren't going anywhere. They're going to interact with the child that you're serving, so how can you make them a part of the therapy? That's their peer. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. So really encouraging that piece and, and bringing everybody into the picture. I know both of y'all had this experience too. And I've had situations where even in a household where maybe the primary language was in English and it was a different language, sometimes I'll even, you know, have to ask an older sibling or whatever to interpret maybe a phrase or something. And the name of the game is you sort of got to do what you got to do to get what you got to get, you know? And so it's like a therapy buddy or as an interpreter, you like siblings or neighbors can be helpful. I mean, you know, really, I've used that a lot as, you know, I'm like, oh, well, the, hold on. The nine-year-old's get off the bus soon, and she can tell. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, she can tell the mom I'll be back here next Wednesday. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've done that, and it, that worked. And that, you know, hold on, let's get your sister out of the bus because I don't know enough whatever language it was. I mean, I'm barely keeping the English stuff together on some days. So you just got to do what you got to do. You know? Yeah. And you talked too about if there's a situation where maybe there's a lot of different people in and out of that house. And I think sometimes new therapists, like, they think, oh, well, we already told mom about that. We already educated mom on that, so they already know. And now it's grandma in there. Well, 
reintroduce it, re-educate grandma on it, re-educate, you know, the aunt, or now dad's there that day. So you got to re-educate dad. And it seems like you're saying it over and over again, but that's when it's going to stick, and that's when you're going to see results, because now it's not one person that's got it, but multiple people have heard it, and then they're going to follow through on that program. Yeah, you're right. And it makes it real life functional, which is how therapy mm-hmm. should be anyway. Yep. And then the other thing, the Home Visit 101, Kirsty, that you talked on was therapy materials. You know, sometimes you just got to use what you got and you walk in there in the house and there's nothing. No toys, no, no nothing. And so talk a little bit about places you've done therapy in a home visit. Uh, as far as from a PT perspective, you know, we get Mostly home visits are children anywhere from birth to three. So some of the things that you're looking at working with, you see all over the market, bumbo seats with a tray. And, you know, we have people that they might not be able to afford a bumbo seat. So we might say, oh, you know, I see that diaper box over in the corner. Can we empty that out and can we use that as a little chair to sit in and and it'll help to confine their space and then they can sit up with some support, but you know, you're minimizing the support where they're not mm-hmm. independent, but they're not sitting with you. And then you can engage with them, put some toys in there, mm-hmm. and let them be upright. Uh, or a ball is usually found in almost every house I've been in, but if yep. we're working on breaking skills down and we want to work on some eye-hand coordination, I mean, most people have a box of tissues or everybody has toilet paper, go grab a square of toilet paper and blow that up in the air so it can come down slower so you can start to work on some eye-hand coordination and prep for some ball play. They're just like everyday activities and things that people have in their house. Yeah, I agree. I've used empty wipe container. I like that as a useful tool. I've used that for all uh-huh. kinds of mess. I've used pots and pans. Can't think of all the different things I've used, but kind of mm-hmm. like whatever's there. Yes. You know, you just do whatever. One of my favorite th- home therapy things is a, and I think everybody should have this, is a tablecloth. Like you buy at Walmart, mm-hmm. you know, the tablecloth with the plastic on one side and the fuzzy white stuff on the bottom side. Like everybody should have that because it sort of defines your space. Mm-hmm. You don't know, like in various homes where you might go or front porches or wherever it might be. Different things can be on the floor, y'all know. And so sometimes I'll, I'll just put that tablecloth down, and then it sort of defines my area space, and I don't feel like I'm being rude to anybody because I'm not saying, hey, your floor's a little bit dirty or maybe a lot dirty. My floor at my house is a little bit dirty, but other floors can be really dirty, or you don't know what might be there. So it sort of protects the therapist, defines your space, and you can kind of say to the family, hey, you know, no, we put down tablecloth because I do put down everywhere. And we, this is how we do it because we're trying to work on staying in one spot. <laughs> or, or whatever, you know. I don't know. Have you ever used that tablecloth thing, Paula? I have. I used to bring um, those squares that you oh, can interlock yeah. because mm-hmm. then you can wipe them down and disinfect them. That's a good thing. Um, and they're light to carry, so that's another option. But, yeah, anything you can fold up and clean up afterwards is always a useful tool. I'll throw um, away. When, when I'm in the homes and talking more about what, both of you were saying about toys and if they have limited toys. Another piece that comes into play for me is taking what they have and demonstrating all the different ways you can get language skills out of an object, not just doing one or two things, but the variety of that. And then also educating the parent on what a good toy is. Like like a lot of the toys that are out there now, it does one thing and that's it. Mm -hmm. So to just show them how certain toys are more conducive to building language skills than other toys, particularly with children on the spectrum, something that doesn't have a lot of, you know, spinning the wheels and 
repetitive type of actions with it. Because if you think a typically developing child just develops play, whereas our children need help with that and to show the parents other ways of doing things as well as the child. Because then they're going to sit down on the floor and feel comfortable when you leave carrying over those activities. Yeah. I was just sitting here trying to think of some of the stranger things I've used in therapy to help uh, (laughs) with that. But even magazines, like, you know, just magazines. I've used sometimes flipping through magazines. If there were no books left in the house, I mean, it didn't matter what kind of book I brought in. If I couldn't leave it there, it wasn't going to do much good. So even magazines, I've looked through magazine or newspaper. I tell you what, at Christmas time, it's a great time for magazines or whatever you get in the mail because there's all kinds of toys and stuff. And so you can name Mm -hmm. stuff for days there, you know, Mm -hmm. it's my favorite time of year to do the home business at least. We don't always have to think about a home visit as just going to the home. There's so much language that can be had by going to the grocery store and putting them in the shopping cart and looking around and picking up different things. I've gone and met people at the park down the road, just going outside and getting outside rather than being in the house. Also, I've done many a therapy session on the front porch. I mean, sometimes a little bit of fresh air and front porch is nice. And it just gives parents options, you know, thinking about different things that they could do. Because when I say home visit, I'm thinking anywhere not in the clinic. So like home visit, daycare, park, McDonald's, library, anywhere. That to me equals a home visit. I find this to be fascinating right here. But, you know, Kirstie, talk about like at the park, like you're pushing the swing and you can do squats like at the same time. You know, sometimes parents will say, well, I've, I've tried to do this and this. We're just so busy. I think one of the things a home visit allows you to do is show parents, look, you know, all the stuff that we're working on, PTOT speech stuff, it's just natural, normal. If it's not functional, natural stuff, then it really is not a good point of doing it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, with my own kids, when I go to the park, I'm like, this is a chance to get outside. This is a chance for me to work out, too, while I'm engaging with my child because time, you know, multitasking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so especially when uh, my youngest one was little, uh, about six months to a year old, and couldn't really be around at the park and get down and get on the floor much, but my other one would go off running and I would have the little one in the swing and I would do squats and lunges with each push and then I would you stop totally. him in the swing and I would ask He's... him if he wanted more and he would sign more, say more, and we would go more. <laughs> So that's how I could get a workout in while I was playing and getting language out of him, and he was learning, and everybody was happy. We were outside. That's such a Kirsty thing, isn't it, Paula? It is. That's a totally, that's a totally Kirsty thing. Because um, I would completely not be able to figure out to multitask like that, and that's like one of my favorite Kirsty stories ever. I love that. That's awesome. Um, and people just stop and look at me a lot. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? You overachiever! Stop it. You're making us all look bad. <laughs> That's what they're really saying. That's what they're really saying. You're overachiever. Your kids are smart and you're in shape. Daggum. <laughs> but what you're also doing, Kirsty, is like it's just sort of the whole the whole child approach too. Like a home visit allows you to do that because, you know, if you're like signing more when the child's swinging, you know, that's a great thing. And, you know, or like they're working on walking, they can walk to, I don't know, whatever and name something, you know, Paula, we do that all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're in a home visit and they're getting PT and we prop the child up on the, you know, you can be working on sitting balance and playing pat a cake, you know, by putting your hands together all at the same time. Right. You know, mm-hmm. there's not like you can say, oh, we're just doing speech therapy now. We stop that. You know, mm-hmm. you can't really do that. Home visit just forces that because yes. there's nobody else there but you. Mm-hmm. And of course, we've already touched on a little bit, but the whole parent buy-in. And so I think also it's important to say in there, you can show the parent like, look, I know the PT was here yesterday, but we can work on what they were working on. I'll usually ask, what did you do in PT yesterday? 
what did she have you do? Oh, laying on his side. Okay, well, we can do that while we're working on pushing this toy, you know, mm-hmm. cause and effect or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Also, I always say this to all therapists. I think home visits make you a better therapist. Mm-hmm. You learn how to think on your feet. You learn how to adapt. You learn how to use what you've got. And also it forces the whole parent education and the parent buy-in. Mm-hmm. For sure. Sometimes some people who haven't done a lot of home visits may be not really wanting to do a lot, but as soon as they do them, they kind of get hooked a little bit because I think they do start to realize about the whole parent involvement and how the parent buy-in is there. And it, it to me, a home visit can also be the, one of the most rewarding things we do because mm-hmm. you see so much progress so fast. One of the other parts that I really appreciate is the support in the home that you get from the case coordinator because particularly with new therapists, if there is an issue that needs more of a social worker type intervention, that's not your role because as we said, you have to maintain a professional relationship. You also, if there is a problem that arises, you have this person that can come in and say, okay, this is my lane, this is my area and I will handle this and it doesn't jeopardize your relationship with the parent because it has to be dealt with as you both were saying because you're in the home you can't run away from that that's been a big help to me too if there is an issue that comes up Mm -hmm. that case coordinator can come in there and then provide them the resources through the children's developmental service agency because they have a whole team behind them to come in and they also Mm -hmm. do a really good job once the child reaches that mark where they're two and a half and they're looking to make a smooth transition from an individual family service plan, the IFSP, to an IEP, a school or a daycare, Mm -hmm. once they turn three years old. And we do a good job with that because you, at that point, we'll do another evaluation and find out the measurable progress that the child's made. And then you actually transition that team. So the meeting between that two and a half, which is mm-hmm. a critical language time, mm-hmm. to three, we're really focused on that child and taking them to the next level from a child-centered, naturalistic environment to a more structured daycare, preschool, or pre-K program within the school system. Yeah, and Kirstie, that's exactly what you're talking about, Paul. That's exactly what y'all are doing that all the time. And sometimes that whole transition between the home to maybe a daycare or home to a school is better because you've got that relationship with the parent. I mean, Kirstie, that's your world all the time. Yeah, and that's what I love so much about early intervention also is because you go in and you create that bond in a home where Maybe the parent doesn't work, so they don't see a need to put their child in a daycare, but really explaining to them that it's not just a daycare, it's a developmental day center and the differences and what they're going to get out of that and that it's going to be a language-enriched environment, very nurturing, they're going to get that peer interaction. But maybe they're an only child and they don't have that. We do work with a lot of military families, and they come into town, and they don't really know a lot of people. So it kind of gets them out there, too, and in their community a little bit more to establish some other relationships as well, and just puts that child in a different environment that obviously has a lot more structure. You know, they're up at the same time every day. They're out the door. They're to school. They're picked up, and they come to expect it. 
Yeah, exactly. But I think the therapist is the constant sometimes, and that makes the whole transition thing easy and better. And then also you have that great parent relationship already established, Mm -hmm. so the communication's easy. And then when the child gets to daycare, you can say, oh, how's Johnny, your brother? Are you still riding bikes with him? You know, you can also have that point of reference of the things that you know that the child has at their house that is fun and real to them. So it helps that whole transition. The therapist right there in the middle is sort of the key to working even better than what it might would anyway. You know, I've always said home visits are not for wimps, you know, because you never really know what you're going into. And I don't mean that like in a bad, scary way. I just mean like, you know, there's lots of different personalities out there. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to sort of roll with it. One particular time I can remember going into this particular place, but the family didn't speak English. And I can remember being on the phone with somebody here at the office and they were just talking away. And I said, look, I got to go. The dude right there is holding back the pit bull, and the interpreter just went in. <laughs> and look, so if I don't go, <laughs> I can't tell him, <laughs> like, help, help. I, I, like, I'm, so I got to go, and I need to tell you three things. So hush talking, because so, then I got to roll with it. And we had a great home visit. But I was like, look, there's, there's, <laughs> there's some, you know, there's some, it, it's not for wimps. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if y'all have any particular, like, I know y'all both have really funny stories, but I just wasn't sure if there was anything you're thinking off the top of your head. You, you have to bring dog biscuits with you. You do need to bring dog biscuits. I've been chased by many a uh, creature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I wouldn't just say dog, because I've been chased by a goat. <laughs> I mean, by many a, a four-legged or two-legged something. <laughs> yeah, dog biscuits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been, like, snipped at. Like, I've felt the... the saliva <laughs> like yeah that'll get your heart rate up <laughs> you can skip the gym that day you're good like <laughs> you can totally skip the gym that day you're you're fine so if, if i gave you like a bag and i said okay paula kirsty i need for you to pick three things to put in your bag for home visits what would the three things be like if you couldn't go into a home visit with anything else but these three things what would you always have in your home visit bag i think i would have definitely bubbles <laughs> and a ball and i would say a book because I think that's important. Some children aren't exposed to books, and really, depending upon what level they're at, there's so much that you can do with the book. I mean, there's there's so many things to, that you can bring, but again, just looking at the simple things that can establish the turn-taking, the motivation, the activity level, working on the other skills with the whole body, you know, those are kind of like the staples of things that I would bring. Mm-hmm. How about you, Kirsty? If I had to, I'll be honest, when I was a new grad, I did take a bag in my home visits. Now when I go into home visits, I don't bring anything, ever. She is I overachiever. I have, but if I had to, I'm with Paula, I would take bubbles, because there's not a kid that I've met that doesn't like bubbles. Mm-mm. So I might yep. not want to touch them, <laughs> mm-hmm. but they, they love to see the bubbles. When I'm working with like that zero to three range that I can use with anybody, they like those shiny pom-poms. So I want anything that's, like, visually stimulating because sometimes I might have, like, a younger baby that I'm working with. I was going to ask you, what's a shiny pom-pom? Do I know about a shiny pom-pom? Like the mylar with the crinkly, streamery things. Something like that just because it gets their attention. And then, you know, I can do that for a lot of different things. But That's a totally good – you're just about like that mylar, like, shiny, crinkly paper, right? Yeah. Have you ever used that? No? No. Uh-uh. I don't think that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm substituting one of my three things with that. All right, go. What's your next what go ahead, what were you saying? And and it's easy. I can throw it in my pocket. The other thing too Stamp. is those yeah. like Mardi Gras beads, like a thing of beads. I can do a full session with just a thing of beads in my hand. 
Yeah. And then I can leave them at the house and be like, here you go, this is what you can do with this. Or, you know, just something that I tend to not bring, like, really fancy things that they're not going to be able to have on hand. So those are my, and I like anything that I can do, you know, a lot with, obviously. But bubbles is one of those things that you can do so many different things with. Those are all great ideas. I hadn't thought about any of that. I forgot about, like, jewelry and bees and that kind of stuff. You know, I'm going to start using those again in therapy because I kind of put those to the side. I'm going to start using those again. I forgot about that. Any funny stories you want to share with us before we wrap it up? Most of those stories you could do a whole other podcast on, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just because you just never know what to expect. I guess just kind of going back to going there and trying to keep structure to the session is that sometimes I've found that if there's a sibling that comes and they're sitting there and you're trying really hard to sort of, you know, they, they want that attention too. You come with this bag of toys and the parent's not redirecting them. A lot of times after a while of doing that and seeing that the child that needs the therapy is the focus of it, then a lot of times the parent will kind of see that and jump in and then redirect the child or, or kind of sit with them and give them that attention. I just think every time you go in, it's a big challenge because every day is going to be different and you just have to be prepared for that. You know, some days you're going to go in too and the child's going to be tired or had a bad night. And I think you really, really have to be flexible Mm -hmm. because the difference in the clinic is that you're in control of that environment Mm -hmm. and of the structure and then the timing of the session. But when you go into the home, you have to really be open to whatever is going to happen. And it really is a great experience. It really is. Yeah. All right. My three things, because I didn't say them. Okay. So first off, well, my one of mine is a tablecloth, because, you know, that's the thing. I will have my tablecloth. But do I have to add that? Does that have to be one of my three things? Because I already said that. So I think I get to have three more things. All right. Well, one's a wind-up toy, because, well, I want to bring several wind-up toys, because I haven't done therapy without a wind-up toy in 20 years. Like, literally, I think every single therapy session I've done for the past 20 years, I've had a wind-up toy, because I just don't know how you do it without a wind-up toy. And then you can also leave those, because they're cheap. Beautiful thing. Okay, so that's also a therapy toy and a door prize. And so, because if you're good, you can have this toy. <laughs> so, so um, and when you know, who's, even for the, like, the sibling, it can be a door prize. So I always have that with me. I'm with Paul on the bubbles, or who said the bubbles? Kirstie said bubbles. Do we both say bubbles? Yeah. We you both. Really, <laughs> yeah, you got to have some bubbles. I mean, that's just a, you really, you can't do it without that. And now the last thing, I don't know, I'm kind of all... I'd hate to be boxed in like this. It's really tough. You don't want to bring Play-Doh. That just is a mess waiting to happen. That's not a good time. And people don't appreciate when you bring Play-Doh. They talk bad about you behind your back when you leave. (laughs) They do. They really talk bad about you. I really think some like little figures, like little whatever, little like farm animals, little Mickey Mouse figures, little tiny people, because you can hide them. You can look for them. I don't know. Little... I don't know. That's kind of a bad one. I would also say little cars, too. I, I, I need like 10 things in my bag. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, you know what my third thing is? My third things are stacking blocks. That's it. Mm-hmm. Done. Wind-up toy, bubble, stacking blocks. Okay. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. You can put them on your head. You can jump over them. You can like hide them across the room and have siblings go find them while you do try to do therapy. <laughs> They're a distractor. <laughs> They're, Yes. Stacking blocks. Why didn't I say that? Okay. All right. That's long enough for me. All right, people. So I'm winding it up here. Anything I missed? I was just going to say that I do feel that when you see 
the progression from starting in the home mm-hmm. to switching, that the parent also becomes an advocate for their child mm-hmm. because they take all that education, they know the value of therapy, and they've seen their child grow, and you're actually kind of turning that over to them because when they're in the school, they're not going to see the session every week. The child is going to be going to school or preschool, and they won't be a part of that, but they have a really good foundation for knowing what to expect for their child as they move into that next stage of therapy services. And you know, one thing that I should have talked about, but I didn't, speaking from the experience of somebody who has a child with special needs, and so I was on the receiving end of home visits for a while. So, and I've done home visits and I was on the receiving end. You know, when you have a child with special needs and they're real little, which a lot of times our home visit people are really little. I mean, I knew a decent amount because I'm a therapist. I've been working with kids with various special needs for years. You like that home visit therapist who ever comes in is like, you're like, this is my lifeline to my child getting, fixing whatever might potentially be or working on whatever particular issue might be there. And you really start to like just get connected. There's a real connection there that you'll remember forever. You know, my child's nine now and the people that were first involved with her initially, you know, I'll have special feeling in my heart for them forever. They're not like I didn't invite them to dinner or any of that kind of stuff. There was a professional line, but they'll always be like, oh, yeah, remember so-and-so? My child doesn't remember them, but I remember them. You know, I don't know, Kirsty, your thoughts on that. We had somebody come into our home because I think as a parent of a child that, you know, had needs at a young age, I could not look at him objectively. Mm-mm. To me, he was perfect. He was mine. <laughs> so I had to get somebody else in there to look at him to tell me, hey, you really need to work on this, you know? (laughs) And that helped me, too. And it also helped because being that I provide services where he went to his daycare, I didn't want to come in as a parent telling the teachers what to work on. I wanted it to come from somebody else. Yeah, you're right. It does take the heat off the parent. You're right. I mean, completely. And it also kind of makes you, because you've experienced this, if you have a child with special needs, you're right. You're the mom. You're not the therapist. You just can't be. And so you need somebody else to sort of take the heat or the pressure off of you to say, look, do this, do this. And you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 I remember. I can do that. Oh, yeah, I remember. I can do that. You know, that you need somebody to drive the train, be the one who makes the plan. And one of my favorite stories when I was working with a co-worker's child, she actually took the time to write me a letter, and basically the gist of the letter was, I, we are friends, but I want to draw the line while you're treating my child that we keep friendship, friendship, and the therapist-parent relationship completely separate because I want you, if you have something to tell me, I don't want you to feel like you can't tell me about what's going on with my child. Hmm. Hmm. And um, I thought that was really powerful, too, to be like, there, there is a boundary. Mm-hmm. And in that instance, the friendship came first, and then the child needed therapy. So it was... It was interesting to see that take place, and at the end of the day, it wasn't an issue because we are professionals, and we're doing the best thing for that child. Mm -hmm. I did think of a funny story that we may or may not include in this, but it's a good thing to kind of end on. (laughs) Is it a blooper reel or no? Go ahead. It's a real story. It's a a true story. And I was going with a speech assistant to see a family. And this family in the county was very poor. And the dad had found work at a local motel. Mm. And so we had to go to the motel in a room because the mom was there with their two children to do the speech 
reeval in session. And as we were walking out, I said, boy, every time that, and this is where the assistant went to provide the services. I said, boy, you really just hope that nobody sees you just <laughs> walking into a hotel in the middle of the day when you're supposed to be at work. People yeah. thinking, oh, nice. Wonderful. What, what, <laughs> what is what's she, going on what in there? She, what is she doing? <laughs> I mean, so like you were saying, we started the whole thing out. You never really know what direction no. it's going to take you. And they were a lovely family and dad was just doing the best to, you know, keep a roof over their head and, and work and, and they moved around and they, you know, therapy was still on their agenda. So, but it was, it was very strange yeah. um, sitting there with the two, you know, full beds and, and then having that little space up against the heater and then the dressers over here. And like you said, you're doing your therapy, you're doing your thing and we made yeah. it work. Yeah, you you do wonder what the drive-by people are thinking. Like, What's going on over there? I'm like speech therapy. Sure, it is. Yeah, that's your story, lady. You stick to that story. The backside of my story about the pit bull was um, the day started with the pit bull story with me. Like, look, I got to go. That dude's holding back the pit bull, and the interpreters went in that house. I got to go. The end of that day, it was all home visits all day. The end of it ended up where basically I was stopped by a trooper and got a seventy-five and a fifty-five like that. And so there was all over the map in that day. That was that was a, that was a home visit day. So I was like, okay, great. It started with a like, hold back the pit bull. I got to go in. And it ended with a 75 and a 55. <laughs> not not the best. Anyway, it actually was a good home visit day. Anyway. Okay, y'all. That's our story. We're sticking to it, right? With the motel? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So anyway, but all right, I hope that this has been helpful to people and talking about home visits and they're a great time. They really make you a better therapist and you'll be better off in the end if you do home visits, really. <laughs> but I hope this has been helpful to people. And thanks, Paul and Kirsty. I appreciate y'all helping me out today with this podcast. Thank you, Hayden. It was enjoyable, mm-hmm. as always. And thank you, Kirsty. You're welcome. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 